Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and it's off to Montana this week for a chat with the owner and the brewer of Meadowlark, where we're going to get into the importance of craft malt, a fondness for Scottish-style ales, and brewing with mushrooms. And we'll get into it all in a moment, but first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do is supported by you. You can visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to help keep the content fresh. And a reminder that a few bucks goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. So thank you for your support on that. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising with All About Beer, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. Finally, if you're a smoked beer fan, and of course you are, go check out This Week in Rauk Beer. You can search for the Facebook group. You can follow on Instagram and Twitter at TWRaukBeer. And please consider joining us in Nashville on May 9th for Camp Rauk Beer, which is going to be held at Barik Brewing and Blending starting at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon with some of the best Rauk Beer brewers from across the United States. All right, so my apologies on the voice. I'm currently fighting off bronchitis uh, and some coughs are slipping through in this conversation, but I'm committed to current shows and so I'm working through the lung distress. Meadowlark has been on my radar for a while now, but it wasn't until owner Travis Peterson sent me some beer to the home office that I was able to give the full lineup a go. Afterwards, I called him up. Travis tells me that he's long had a dream of helping people experience the beauty of food and beer pairings. Neither food nor beer has to be complicated or contrived, he says. It's all about the experience and opening your mind to the possibilities beer can create. Travis graduated from Gonzaga University as a civil engineer and pursued a career working on bridge projects in both California and Washington following his graduation. But in those years, while visiting breweries, he could not shake the desire to one day open his own. And that's where Meadowlark in Billings comes in. On the show, he's joined by brewing director Tim Schnars. You'll hear his voice first. Tim has been brewing professionally since 2006, when there were less than 2,000 breweries in the United States, and he joined Meadowlark in 2013. Before brewing, Tim received a post-secondary certification in advertising and design and also pursued a career in animation. They both joined me via Zoom. Here's our conversation. I'm not going to ask you guys to speak for everybody in your state, but I am because I'm curious as to what the state of beer in Montana is like here as we, we head into spring 2023 from your perspective. Well, uh, it is going to kind of get a little political, and I, I think I guess we could just kind of get that out of the way real quick. Um, you know, we have probably the most powerful tavern lobby in the United States of America, and the reason we do is because when you buy a liquor license in Montana, you become a casino. So our DOR is really wrapped up in, in our DOJ, or that's the Department of Revenue and Department of Justice, respectively. And so we end up with these battles, uh, like the distributors and the brewers and the retailers are all like drawing their lines, trying to fight each other when we could all just 
join hands and walk to the bank together. <laughs> so uh, if you look at what's happening right now in the legislature, because uh, Montana only meets every other year for 90 days, a lot of it has to do with uh, the governor's red tape uh, committee where they're trying to clean up Title 16, which is alcohol laws. And so a lot of things are on the plate. There's a potential that brewers can stack uh, a liquor license on top of their brewing license. Um, and, you know, the, the wholesalers are trying to get distribution for RTDs. I think, you know, the breweries really just want to be able to sell more beer and stay open later uh, because we're, we're kind of like stuck at three pints per person. And I remember when you came and visit us in Missoula, yeah. where we were at. Um, and that's kind of a bummer for people that come from out of the state and want to try all our great beer. But, you know, primarily we're, we're sticking towards the local ingredients. There is some experimentation, but there's a lot of traditional styles being brewed. Uh, but at the, at the heart of it all is uh, the, 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 the barriers to trade that we still kind of have to work through in our political system. And I know we didn't want to go that way, but that's, that's kind of the truth. Um, so I don't know if you wanted to add anything, Travis. Yeah. Um, well, I kind of took your question as, you know, what kind of beer atmosphere or, or what, what's it like if you were to, you know, go visit, you know, a handful of breweries, if you were visiting the state. Um, it's an open-ended yeah. question. I I, I, yeah. I like that there's alternative answers to to all of this. I mean, obviously there's frustration, but um, yeah. What, what's your take, Travis? Um, well, that's kind of why I asked him to step in because we both have these, uh, you know, our own perspective, but uh I think the, the beer scene here has always been really strong. We always see the, uh, that marker, you know, when the BA puts out, you know, Montana is the third highest number of breweries per capita or number two sometimes. Um, and it is, it is, uh, you know, most little towns. Uh, I mean, we started in a very small town, 6,000 people. Um, and we opened a brewery there. Um, and you find that across the state, a bunch of little small communities have uh, their local brewery. Um, um, but what, uh, a lot of, uh, I see here is there's more experimentation in, I'm going to call them municipalities. You guys would call them towns, uh, you know, our bigger communities of Billings, Bozeman, Missoula, uh, you see a little bit more experimentation just cause I think there's a higher concentration of breweries there. Um, and, uh, they get a little bit different of crowd, right? What we sell for yeah. beer in Eastern Montana is, is way different than what we sell, say in Bozeman, which has a lot of, you know, outsiders coming for, you know, recreational pursuits, the outdoors, Yellowstone National Park, you know, ski in the mountains, that kind of stuff. Uh, but like one thing that is, is always kind of struck me here is it seems like every brewery in this state makes a Scotch ale, um, which I think is kind of unique to our state. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm, I'm, I'm so, so glad that you brought up uh, Scotch Ale because uh, I have a can of uh, One Year We Heavy uh, on my desk right now. Um, and when I was in Missoula, gosh, which must have been 17, 16, something like that. It's, it, was, it, was, it was a long time ago, uh, so much so that I'd forgotten about the uh, three pints at every brewery uh, rule, which I made the most out of. So my apologies to whichever brewery was fifth on my uh, visit list that day. Um, but I, I, I was so enamored with how malt forward the beer lists were. 
um, and and seeing a lot of you know great stouts, but so many great like Scotch ales and red ales, and um, it's the same when I went north uh, from you all, and I was in you know Calgary um, a while back um, around that same time of just I, I imagine being surrounded by grain and uh, being surrounded by farms helps steer I don't know beer decisions, beer style decisions is is that accurate is that fair yeah i think that's pretty accurate i mean neil so i I hate to say we're like two years behind a a lot of the trends but it does take a while for new things to get here right um and i don't know if it's just because our population is is low um but i think yeah coming up in a, a very grain uh centric uh you know we like to talk about terroir uh with the craft malt we're using um, but I also think that a lot of people in this state grew up drinking your big domestics, right? Um, Hoover's Light was kind of what everybody drank when I was growing up. Uh, and I see Same. a lot of Bush yeah. Light. Uh, so light, you know, more approachable things uh, like Scotch Ales and Red Ales, which have a little bit of that residual sweetness. I think there's an easy transition for those people to move out of a big domestic into, you know, a craft beer, you know, makes them feel good that they're trying something crafty. You know, and of course, this has evolved over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And we've definitely seen people's tastes change over that time. We, we sell way more IPA now than we ever used to. Um, and I think that also kind of lends to IPAs have changed a lot where, you know, that, uh, that uh, moon race for the, the biggest bitter IBU count that you can get, you know, that is gone. And, and people are looking more for those citrus fruit profile, jungle fruit, uh, flavors and IPAs. And I think IPAs have gotten a little bit sweeter too. So we are seeing some people, you know, yeah, we're, we're still a, a dominant malt heavy, uh, industry, but, uh, IPAs have definitely made their mark here. What is it though, about some of the Scottish style ales that you think have really captured drinkers interests? Because I, I I I was struck by pretty much everywhere I went, I was able to drink these really wonderful you know, copper and amber ales and uh, with, with distinctive flavors and and just real rich characters. Um, and I haven't encountered that in too many other places in the world. I, I kind of I mean, I you know I've been in the industry a long time now. I started in Pennsylvania and. And there was a, a little bit of that back east uh, when there was only 1,300 breweries in the, in the country. But I kind of feel that the, the amber ale or the Scottish ale, they really do serve as kind of like a gateway beer to people who aren't really understanding where or how or what, you know, craft beer they see it. They may be apprehensive about it. Um, usually when you give people a taste of the amber beer, it is just different enough and not too far out of scope that they feel comfortable wading into the pool of craft beer, so to speak. And, you know, if you, if you actually look at the most popular beers in Montana from a commercial standpoint, I mean, the top two that I can think of just from, from you know, communities, if you think about Missoula, one of them is Cold Smoke, which is a Scottish style. And then right here in Billings, there's a, a brewery that was, it's been around for decades. And, you know, their big uh, uh, 
breadwinner, you know, Angry Hanks is the name of the brewery, but there's this uh, a street fight. It's another amber Scottish ale that is very well balanced. It's, you know, very uh, exemplary of the style. And it's kind of like if it, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. So it's, it's a, uh, I guess a better way to say it is if you know people who do mountain climbing, they've got to establish a base camp somewhere. And it seems like in the craft beer scene in Montana, that's where the base camp is, is that Scottish ale. And then people can take these longer trips into weird territories and then go back to where it's comfortable. And I think that some of that had to do also with what was available way back, you know, before there was a lot of craft beer, some of the bigger players that we're sending beer to Montana was new Belgium with fat tire. I mean, I mean you could find it. The old fat tire. Yeah. The old fat tire. Yeah. Classic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like you'd go into the local grocery store and you would, you would find fat tire like Sam Adams and well, and, and uh, Moose rule from big sky brewing Moose rule was everywhere across the state. And I think that was a big intro point and being a Brown ale, you know, I think that all influenced people that, those were safe, friendly beers and, you know, you give the people what, what, what they want. So how come you guys don't brew, you know, a brown ale? How come you guys don't brew a scotch ale? I think brewers probably responded to those, those comments. I dig that. Um, and it's still hanging on, right? I mean, even with the encroachment of sweeter, fruitier, tropical IPAs um, and even some of the more, you know, robust styles uh, or or boozy styles, um, the Scotch ale and some of those classics are still they still resonate. Yeah, you could still go. Just per, I would say probably most, if not all, breweries and find a Scotch ale uh, on tap. Like it is, it is a dominant style here. God love Montana for that. That is just uh, we need we need more of that these days. Um, at least you know in my probably unpopular widely held opinion um i'm thinking so we mentioned malt before and travis before we went on um uh you you were talking about how uh craft malt plays into so much of what you're doing at the brewery uh these days and um obviously a lot of the the, the larger companies um use Montana or based in Montana, uh, have facilities. Um, what's the appeal for, for craft malt in what you all are doing these days? Well, it started, what was that? Three or four years ago, Tim, you went to the craft, uh, maltsters, uh, conference and, uh, I'll let Tim kind of segue into this, but. Let- well, yeah, I mean, basically we were at a, a crossroads there thinking about expanding our business. Uh, Travis went and did a course on distillation in Colorado. And I, right around the same time, took a course on, uh, on malting at the Malsters Conference in uh, Fort Collins. And, you know, he came back with this idea of, all right, this is something that we can incorporate into our business model fairly easily. Whereas I did not, I, I came back with this idea of, this is a lot bigger of a issue than we can just incorporate into our business model. The, the costs that maltsters are spending at the craft level are, are way bigger and you kind of have to already have that farming uh, infrastructure. And so we started looking at our, our local maltsters and even, you know, uh, in Great Falls, there's a, a very large uh, a maltery that is taking grain from 
all over uh, Montana, North Dakota, and, and even into uh, Alberta there, which is, you know, this is the, the barley basket, the malt barley basket of the North America. And, and we're just kind of trying locally source some of this stuff. And I remember the big uh, maltery in the center of the state told us that they weren't able to uh, certify that the wheat was coming from Montana. And that became, you know, the point of contention there is where is this stuff coming from and what is it? And when we went down that road a little further, we discovered that, you know, malt scientists in North Dakota at NDSU and malt scientists in Montana at MSU have for the last decade been designing malts that would specifically work for small farmers and uh, maltsters because, you know, a lot of times if the grain doesn't meet the brewery specs, they'll get rejected and then they have to sell it for half the price that they normally would have gotten. But to the positive point, you know, these scientists had come up with Buzz at MSU and Brewski. These aren't just malts. These are, uh, these are new strains of malt barley. And, and aside from that fact, when we say this is single origin craft malt certified, we know where the fields are, where this stuff grows. And that's not just a point of quality. That's part of our story. So, I mean, that's when we can point to it and, and hear the people and, and here's why it, it kind of gives us more value, I think. Yeah. Well, being a farm, uh, agro cultural centered state, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a farming community and, you know, Tim talks about buzz, uh, it's named for a guy named buzz Matlin, who was, uh, president of the, the barley growers association for a number of years. Uh, he only lives. 37 miles from my hometown. Uh, so when you're talking about connections, like, you know, we know each other, we know who these people are. We've walked in their fields, we've toured their farms um, and, and promoting that, uh, you know, when people come into our brewery, one of the first things we stop at is this big sign that we had made that says, you know, how is your beer made or where's, where's your beer made? And we put a big map on there and we got little icons little map placements of, you know, this is two track malting out of North Dakota. This is Gallatin Valley malt uh, over near Bozeman. <clears throat> and that gives us an opportunity to talk about things like, you know, taste where your beer comes from. Um, Tim a while back came up with this phrase of, of we want to be the Napa Valley of beer. Like we want to have and share that terroir, the place where this, this stuff is grown uh, and how it's influenced from season to season and, and talk about those people that are, are farmers first and then got into malting and, you know, keeping our, our dollars circulating within our communities is really important. Um, when we were buying grain from some of the bigger outfits, you know, shipping thousands from thousands of miles away, we couldn't say where it was coming from, whether it was, you know, North Dakota, Montana, Idaho, or, you know, Saskatchewan. And, uh, you know, it just kind of felt disjointed, like, we're local beer. Why aren't we using more local ingredients? And so, you know, finally, like, well, hops have always been like the sexy ingredient, right? The ones that everybody's always talked about for years. Everybody knows about them. Everybody knows what they look like. And nobody really talked about malt. And so now we have this opportunity to talk about malt and all the cool things that we can get out of it um, with these new varietals that are being produced, you know, specific for regions. Um, and then the feedback that we have with uh, those maltsters, hey, we're really looking for, you know, to substitute this specialty grain that we're getting from, 
country malt group, what, what can you guys do? And you know, they're responding, you know, um, and they, and they want to, they want to be good partners also. And so, yeah, they'll just show up with some new product or bag, like, here you go. We made this, just wanted to see if you would like it. And I mean, that's exciting for us. Like, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd like to speak to that too, is that, you know, when Please. we started, uh, we started partnering with these uh, maltsters and uh, they're, they're coming out with new styles of malt and new techniques, much the same way that, you know, 20 years ago, breweries were starting to play with styles uh, in America that were kind of in the face of convention to typical standard European brewers. Um, and so that's really exciting when you think that now we've moved down to the raw materials part of this culture and industry. And those people are starting to do creative things at that level, which, you know, I, I think uh, maybe not here yet, but just simply when you start talking about the, the new strains of barley, new types of malts, and then other methods like in Europe, they're talking about doing malt infusions with flavors. Uh, it's, it's really growing that part of it. And I think it can only get more uh, sophisticated, complex and dynamic if you think those are good words. <laughs> well, I, I, and I, I do think that probably a lot of it captures drinkers' attentions, but also I think keeping brewers engaged in, a, in an interesting way can lead to um, new advancements in flavorful beer and, and new ways to keep drinkers engaged. Um, I'm, I'm curious, though, because a lot of conversations that I have with brewers about craft malt often center around price. And some brewers will say, you know, it's 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 fine now and again, and I want to support my local maltster, but uh, the price differential between um, some of the smaller uh, maltsters and some of the larger companies uh, just doesn't work for 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 my bottom line. Um, can you talk about how you've addressed that or how you approach that? Yeah, um, it wasn't as hard as a decision as as you might think. I mean, it was a choice to use a local product versus something that we didn't have a good connection with. And yeah, we knew we were going to pay more. Uh, and I was willing to do that. I, you know, I wanted, I want to buy local. I mean, it's just important. Like the cost. So it's it's yes. walking the walk. Yeah. Yeah. The cost is there. We pass that on a little bit to the consumer, obviously, but by the time it gets down to a, a pint, like it's really not costing them anymore. Right. Um, and so I just moved that right out of my head. Like this is going to cost us this much more every single time. Well, it is. Uh, but comparatively, the price increases that we've seen on other cogs, you know, chemical, aluminum labels, like those things have all gone up dramatically since the pandemic. I mean, some of our chemical went up like 200%, like our malt didn't. And when they call us up and they say, hey, we're really, really sorry, but we're going to have to raise the price by, you know, five cents a pound, like they feel bad. Like that's the kind of relationship we have. And it's like, that's fine. Like it's a better product. We like what it does. We like how it tastes. Uh, and so that has value to me and I'm willing to pay for that value. You know, we did a side by side with one of our seasonals, uh, Squash Toberfest. Um, which is just a, an Oktoberfest style lager. Uh, we do use uh, some butternut squash in it uh, in lieu of some of the grain. Um, 
but what we did this year uh, or last year um, was we took some specialty malt from two track and did one batch. And then we did another batch with some specialty malt from Gallatin Valley just to really influence uh, or see what that influence would be on, on the end product. And then, then it was this whole platform that we could go out front to our patrons and say, you got two choices. Do you want to try them both and then pick which one that you like, like more? Um, and they tasted different. One had a little bit of a sweeter, uh, graham cracker profile, I thought. And the other one was a little drier, uh, and they ended in the same gravity. Everything was the same, except for basically one was using a Munich and one was using a, uh, more of a Vienna, but, uh, yeah, clearly there was a, a chance to describe and, and explain what craft malt is and, and get people engaged in the story. One of the things that I noticed um, in looking at your labels is that malt plays into the like the beer names and the and, and the beer titles. You have a, a you know a stout where you put oat uh, oat malt uh, right up front and center. Um, uh, you know on on your Scottish style on your wee heavy um rye uh is part of the name uh, a, a, as well um by putting the grains forward on the label where you know every time you're reaching for a can or a bottle um you can you can see that do you feel that that helps forge that deeper connection as well yeah i think it does I, it gives hopefully it gives people pause to think about what that means um you know, because to the layperson, right? Like they don't really think that hard about what's going in to make beer, right? Oh, it's grain, tops, it's water. Like they don't really think about it maybe. So all these are little talking points that, you know, if we're lucky enough to be in front of these people, then great. But maybe they'll do a little on their own and say, oh, well, this one said oat malt stout. I wonder why that's different from you know, an oatmeal stout, you know, maybe that, maybe that does spark something. Um, at least for our end, we, we enjoy going out front and talking to our customers and explaining these type of things. And, and we, we do try to put it in people's faces a little bit. Um, I mean, the one that kind of stands out more to me on, on ingredient wise is, is our, our beer called fungus shui. Like, yeah, we wanted it to be in people's faces that that beer has, uh, mushrooms as an ingredient. And we didn't want to shy away from that. We didn't want to hide that fact. Um, so every time we do something, like that, yeah, it's very intentional. We want people to to think about it. What's going on I, in your mind? I, 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 it, it, you couldn't have served up a better segue because I wanted to go to Fungus Shui next um, in there. And I can't imagine even using candy cat mushrooms, which I want to get into because I, I find it fascinating as an ingredient. Um, you couldn't hide that from people. I feel like y- you would get uh pitchforks and torches uh if you serve somebody a mushroom beer without telling them that there's mushrooms in it that needs to be something people are are ready for um when they get into it yeah yeah is that fair okay yeah yeah because you there's a uh a, a dichotomy there's there's two types of people really that i've found right like on, on a whole not just necessarily in beer but like I really like mushrooms or I cannot stand mushrooms and it doesn't seem to be anybody in between. It's like, yeah, I kind of like, I could go, I could give or take it. Yeah, no, it's yeah. 
they're they're very hard line and so uh that beer is a little little harder to you know just throw at somebody and say good luck like it does take a little bit of like effort to say you know this is what it is like just try to remain open-minded um you know the flavors that you're going to get out of this hopefully are are maple syrup uh you know we give them words like uh think about pancakes as as you're drinking this um and, and that really, that is all candy cap derived candy cap mushroom derived yeah yeah absolutely um it's a very simple beer i thought i had a great idea i thought of it in the middle of the night came into the brewery all excited it was to do an oyster stout using oyster mushrooms Interesting. Tim was like oh yeah i was pumped like i thought i thought i really stumbled on something and i came in i was like tim what do you think about this and tim's like yeah yeah, that's all right. I was like, what? I was all jazzed up. He gets on his computer. He starts looking up mushrooms. Immediately taking the wind out of your sails. That's, right, uh, right. Yeah. Way was, to go, buzzkill Tim. Right. <laughs> yeah. But but it, it was a natural, but, but something evolved out of it, right? Like he finds candy caps on the internet. Have you ever heard of these before? No, never heard of them. No clue. My mother walks in the back door of the brewery. She's like, what are you guys up to? Oh, we're dreaming up a new beer and you know, we're making a mushroom stout and she goes, she listens to the idea. Candy cap. So I might do this, might have this flavor. And she said, well, don't make it a stout, make it, you know, make it light, make it uh, you know, a golden color. Cause you know, there's only so many stout drinkers in the world. If you're already going to have something weird, like why would you, why would you start off with a, with a narrow group? Like, and so, yeah, we kind of evolved uh, very quickly and, and then when we brewed it, we just we just went for it. So really, at the end of the day, Travis, your brilliant idea, you had nothing to do with the development of this beer. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It was all Tim and my mother. Tim and your mom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They let you go sit in the corner while they hashed it all out. That's, That's about right. That's great. That's um, um, I've had a couple of beers now in my life with candy cat mushrooms. And the first time somebody did not tell me um that there's mushrooms in it and I don't mind mushrooms. So I wasn't mad at it afterwards. Um, but I was like, Oh yeah, it's a nice breakfast syrup beer kind of thing. Um, they're like, no, it's all mushroom. And then, uh, old Irving in Chicago does one that, um, that I had one, uh, maybe about a year or so ago. That was, that was kind of fun. And it was that sort of same result. Um, but I don't think I've ever talked too much about the process of where you add the mushrooms to get the desired flavor. Can 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 you walk me through like where in the beer making process the mushrooms go in and how to best process them beforehand? That's like double secret probation territory. Oh, is it? We'll okay. tell you. We'll tell okay. you. Okay. Cool. I mean, it, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just uh, us and the microphone and right. anybody else yeah. with an internet connection. Yeah. Uh so we tried putting it in in the kettle and then dry hop and I think after years of brewing this now we mostly just put it into dry hop um because the aromatic compounds are very very persistent but we wanted to you know be careful cuz it's a very expensive ingredient I mean we only used I think uh 6 pounds in this last batch uh, but it, it uh, how big like a batch are you guys brewing at a time? 30 barrels. And wow. so, all right. Yeah. You're talking like 200, $300 a pound, depending on the season, because they all have to be uh, foraged. They can't be cultivated. Um, and so 
we basically get them and we'll grind them up in a robo coup or whatever, and we'll just pitch them into our tank like we would a normal dry hop. Uh, but it's something to be said about the lactones. It's sodalone is the name of the compound, but these lactone compounds, they, they last for a long time. And I don't mean to get too gross or anything, but no, it's, we're talking mushrooms. Go, go as gross as you want. Well, I was going to say what happens if you decide you really like this beer and you drink this all night long, what you're going to notice is that you're going to sweat it out. You're going to smell it from your armpits. You're going to go to the bathroom the next day after urinating and your bathroom is going to smell like maple syrup. And I've had these experiences over the last few years. I had a a friend come visit us for vacation. He found a bottle in my basement where he was staying. And uh, he said, well, it's vacation. You know, he's starting to drink at like 10 a.m. No judgment here. But we finally get to Bozeman for our stop. He uses the bathroom in the hotel room and the whole hotel room smells like maple syrup. So they're very persistent and they're very intense. And so you're either going to really enjoy this beer or you're just going to shove it away um, because those compounds just stick around. So I, we probably could put it in the kettle, but we, we just dry hop it. Um, I dig that. That's um, and it just, and it, and it works. And so have you been able to convert anti-mushroom people to this beer? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I mean, that's, it's that, it's that challenge that you kind of love, right? Like, Oh, I don't like beer. Right. Like, well, okay. Strap in. Right. Yeah. Um, because we make a lot of, you know, esoteric styles out there that, you know, instead of just doing like 15 IPAs, like if you go out tap, go out front right now we have you know uh another mastermind project of tim's which is an american grape ale we get a bearded guard that we aged on spanish cedar and french oak um we have our barley wine we have a couple of uh well one's kind of a sour but not really a sour uh in a traditional sense like so we kind of love those opportunities um but yeah we definitely have converted some some you know, oh, I'm not drinking mushrooms, right? Like, okay, well, why don't you just try a sample? Like, yeah, you got nothing to lose. But like, it's part of a complete breakfast, here. yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give it to you. Like, you don't like it? No big deal. Like, but if you want to try something cool, like, where else are you going to find it? Like, you said you've had a couple, but they're pretty few and far between, so. Yeah, no, this is only, I think, the maybe the third. uh, The third, maybe the fourth that I've had. I, I, I'm, I know I had the one from Old Irving. And I know that I was introduced to one earlier and I can't quite remember where Um, I feel like it was at a festival and it was a small batch, but it'll, it'll come to me. I'm sure after we're done recording, Um, Yeah, somebody will remind me after listening to this, because I'm sure I've talked about it before, but um, yeah, no, and and it's fun. And I like that because it is foraged um, that we're not, that the style won't necessarily take off and that, um, folks should seek it out because yeah. of the, uh, the, 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 the rarity and the, uh, the, the scarceness of, of the ingredient, where does it fall for you guys? As far as, is, is it year round? No. Okay. It's just, no, but we, we got some shelf life on it cause it's filtered down to, uh, pristine brilliance, but, uh, the, the, the mushrooms go on season, uh, in like January in the Pacific Northwest. 
So we typically would call the mushroom supplier around the first of the year and say, you know, uh, any, any available or what's the season look like? You're going to have a problem finding some. Uh, we've gotten lucky. The one season they didn't find any, we did find another supplier, but typically we'll brew it for spring or February, March. And uh, yeah, we'll try and hold on to some for uh, well, world beer cup this spring and then JBF at summer. But typically it, it stays well for that long. Uh, and the flavor just is, it, it, it won't go away. Um, so you've poured this at GABF before the Great American Beer Festival. We haven't poured it there, but okay. Oh, you've entered win, it. We did win a gold for it a few years ago, which is in, another good thing. Like we can use to talk to people about, like it's award winning, like with a real award, not you know, not you know, Karen's hockey brewfest, you know. Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, in field beer, is that is that what this would fall under? Experimental. Experimental. Yeah. Nice. I judged that years and years ago, which was, that was always fun to, to do that category. Um, Cause that's, this is where ingredients like this, I think thrive best. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like we, we thought about filled, uh, filled beer, but it seemed to make more sense in the experimental just because we couldn't really find a lot about people utilizing that in a beer before um, you would see snippets like, you know, chefs like to use it for this and, and that, but never, never saw much about beer. So that seemed right. As you think, keeping up with that sort of experimental vein, as you think forward of where the brewery is headed, um, where your own uh, passions uh, and careers are leading you, um, what is fueling experimentation for you? Where, where do you want to focus? Where do each of you want to focus? Um, some of your thoughts and energies into the exploration of beer. Uh, to just to just to be a uh, iconoclast, I would say we're actually moving into the distillation side of things and and seeing where that goes because it really is an extension of beer when you talk about uh, distilling and getting into to whiskey. But you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, that, that is our ultimate goal is to move into uh, RTD cocktails uh, and uh, American single malt, moving along with that uh, craft malt certified status. Uh, but right now in the cellar, we're doing crazy stuff. We're playing with uh, thialized yeasts. We're playing with uh, new crisper yeast to make what we call clean sours. Uh, this is all in the direction of beer still. Um, but we're really excited about opening up all those directions. You know, after the pandemic, we had to decide, you know, are we a brewery or are we a beverage company? And I think, uh, you know, that existential flex allows us the room to grow in multiple different directions, as long as it's from the same uh, single stream idea of uh, certified craft malt barley from the Mondak region uh, is the best expression of terroir. And so that's going to carry on to, you know, whiskey, if we get there or, or uh, our spirits, but yeah, we're, we're, we're trying everything. I mean, anything and everything. If, if you could give me a mash filter tomorrow, I'd probably say, Hey, let's make a 100% rye beer just because we can't, you know what I mean? Travis as the guy sitting in the, uh, in the big chair. Can, uh, can Tim have a mash filter tomorrow? Not tomorrow. No, we, uh, sorry, sorry, Tim. I tried. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. I was advocating um, for you. I was trying for, I was pulling for you. 100% rye beer. It's the next big trend. 
<laughs> Heard it here first. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'd second to that with Tim on, on the distillation front. I think that's going to be a really fun project for us to get into uh, and, and, and trying to see how maybe specialty malts might influence some of that uh, wash that comes out. And, and then further down the path, like how is that going to influence maybe what we're going to lay down as, as whiskeys? Um, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago. And when I got back, the guys were all excited about some of these new yeast we've been playing with. Uh, we're not shy about trying new things, trying new technologies or, or, you know, seeing what out is out in the world. So, you know, the world's our oyster, right? We just got to go out and find the pearls. And so we, we always do that. And then I think that came a lot from, you know, for many years before we opened up this bigger brewery here in Billings was we were always trying to figure out how we could be more successful out of a small town. Um, and so we were always asking ourselves, like, what are we doing wrong? Like, what else should we be doing? What other style should we be tackling? Uh, how can we improve ourselves on water chemistry, on, you know, cleaning regiments, like all those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, we're going to keep marching on. Um, I like that. We don't necessarily like to coattail ride with, you know, the hot new trend of, you know, double milkshake IPA with mango. Like, yeah, I, I could see how people want to do that kind of stuff, but just because we see a flash in the pan doesn't mean we're going to jump on it. I mean, I will admit we did make a seltzer, not our proudest moment. Like I know seltzers are big for a lot of people out there, sure. like, but it was like, that was like a cool diversify the like, portfolio. Yeah. Right. We were like, what, what else can we do? Maybe we should make a seltzer. Right. Mushroom uh, seltzer. That's the future. Mushroom seltzer. Yeah. Ooh. Roush, Roush seltzer. Yeah, except well, I mean that's that's just a given. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, um, we're still, we still come to work excited by what we can come up with. So I mean, beer is fun or should be fun. And if you're not having fun, then you got to find something else. Yeah. Could could fungus way trans um, translate into a spirit into a whiskey? Do you think? I'd be curious to see how that would survive distillation. So we, we do multiple passes on the product and, okay. uh, and what we've seen so far in R and D is that the first pass will kind of be like a beer schnapps. There'll be plenty of that hop flavor still left in there. Uh, so maybe a first pass product would have some of those. I'm just curious, would it last through the second pass or subsequent passes? Um, but it is a strong compound. I think it would be a fun brand, you know, extension, um, not to cannibalize too much of one thing, but like, I think it would be fun. I, I, you know, you do see flavored spirits out there. People seem to really like, you know, the ones with like peanut butter and all that other stuff. Right. So yeah. Sells for big money. If you're Diageo. Yeah. Right. right. Pernard, I guess just bought uh screwball. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, but I think that would be fun for us to say, okay, here's the beer that we made funk Shui, like, you know, we, we've talked about like once we get, you know, kind of a lineup of distilled products, like maybe we should have like a Boilermaker menu out front, you know, like here's a great spirit that we make to pair with this beer. And, you know, maybe we could do that with with the fungus way. I'm not sure. Maybe it's something that we have to age the mushrooms in a vessel. Maybe that's how we have to, you know, make, you know, or maybe we have to do like an extract or something and, and insert that into the, the spirit product. 
I we, like haven't, we haven't tried it yet, but yeah. it's something that we want to for sure. I like that you're thinking about it at least. Um, being mindful of time, uh, I want to ask each of you the green door question with the premise being that uh, uh, on the television show, The Good Place, in the final season, uh, they introduced the concept of the green door that you can walk through and be anywhere doing pretty much anything that you want. And so uh, if we had a green door on our plane of existence and you could walk through it when this conversation was over and be at any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? And Travis, I'm going to start with you. All right. I was ready because I, I, I was. I, I figured as much. You know, the first person to always reference Rauk beer, uh, they get it. So you get to go first. Yeah. Um, so I was talking to my wife about that this morning before I left the house. And she said, well, well it's going to be yours. And so mine's a little little cornball. It's not necessarily about the the beer I was drinking, but more about the place. I was with my wife. We were on our honeymoon, uh, and one of our stops was in Paris, and we went to Les Deux Maigots, Um and uh, sat outside at one of those little round tables. The sun was warm. Ordered uh, uh, Unlef, you know, have a simple left beer, and you know, it was after like we had walked like you know in some museum or something, and we were just kind of cooling our heels. Uh, but it's just like one of those moments that kind of, I can picture everything in my mind about that time and who I was with. And I, you know, we all have like those ahas with beer, you know, um, Tim introduced me to one with, uh, uh, Duchess de Begonia. Uh, that was an aha moment for beer with me, but. Oh God, what a great beer. Yeah. I'm going to go back to, to Paris with my wife. Oh, I love it. Can this be people who are not with us anymore? It, it can be. You can answer it however you want. Okay. Uh, well, I'll just go completely crazy then. I would probably like to be in a pub in New Zealand drinking uh, thialized beer brewed with Phantasm and discussing it with Michael Jackson, the beer hunter, and my favorite screenwriter, Charlie Kaufman. That sounds like a fun afternoon. I mean, that that's an afternoon that probably spills into the evening and then <laughs> to last call. But yeah. Oh, I dig that. Well, thanks to you both for answering that. And thanks for the insights into Montana and candy cap mushrooms and craft malt and, and, and everything else. This is um, a really fun and exci- uh, insightful conversation. So thanks for thanks for taking the time this week. Thank you, John. Yeah, it's been our pleasure. Have you come across candy cat mushroom beers in the wild? If so, let me know what you think. You can email me. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. You can follow All About Beer on social media at All About Beer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, you can email us at info at allaboutbeer.com where we can give you all of our advertising rates and information or just simply go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Don't forget, All About Beer has that podcast channel. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. 
As for this show, Mitch Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>